welcome. Uh, welcome to Ecclesia Young Adults. Um, we have a really awesome treat tonight. Uh, we're going to hear from Pastor Dave Morris, our lead pastor at Hillside Christian Fellowship. Give him a hand. Woo-hoo. No, no. And, uh, and so we're going to just take a little bit of a pause in our I Saw the Light series uh, in the book of John. We're going to pick back up next week in John chapter 1, uh, about verse 15 or so. Uh, but what I want you guys to do tonight uh, is really pay attention to what Pastor Dave's got to say. Uh, he, he's he been a young adult before, and he's still a young adult. Look at this. It's awesome. Uh, and, and so uh, he's got a lot of great wisdom. Uh, the I was going to say a lot of gray hair. Oh, a lot of gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the Holy Spirit's just uh, uh, been using him to do some amazing things, not only in our church, uh, but in our city, uh, and really across the world. So uh, let's just... Give our full attention tonight uh, to Pastor Dish, my dad. <laughs> Thanks, bro. That was nice across the world. I, I wasn't aware of that. That's awesome. Uh, so you guys are in a current study in the book of John, and it's uh, I Saw the Light, and I really like that. And uh, probably one of my favorite chapters in the entirety of the Bible is John chapter 1. And uh, so I know you've covered all the way up through verse 14, which I'm just super excited about. But I thought what I would do is uh, just capitalize on the moment and uh, because John chapter 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us who are we talking about here Jesus that's Jesus that's Jesus and uh, so with that John 1 1 that thought wait you want my preaching finger up? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want you to just turn your Bibles. How many of you guys have Bibles? How many of you actually have like a written book? You got not maybe maybe if you're a person with a phone or a, you know an app or whatever, it's a Bible. I just want to inspire you. Uh, get a written word and let it Amen. become let it become uh, something that you saturate yourself in. There's nothing like the written word. That's right. Okay. Let me say it this way because the Bible says it this way. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It's a scripture you should have underlined in your Bible. You have a hard time doing that on your apps and your phone, underlining. Uh, but this is a scripture that you want to have memorized as well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we hear the Word when we read the Word. And it's been my personal experience as a young adult. I still have my Bible. Let me say that different. I have the exact same Bible as I had when I was a young adult in my bedroom uh, next to my bed. And it is, uh, it's a big fatty Bible, about this big. Uh, and it's a, it's a New King James version of the Bible. And uh, originally I had an NIV, so it's very similar because it is what it is. But New King James hadn't come out yet. Uh, so anyway, uh, and I blistered that Bible with my eyes. And I read it, and I read it out loud, and I read it in my mind. From the time I was 19 years old, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Some of you know me, some of you know my testimony. I won't bore you with the details of my testimony tonight. But I will just tell you that before I knew the Lord, I was a very uh, bad boy. Okay, I was a very bad dude. Uh, but Jesus got a hold of my life. That's right. And He radically got a hold of my life. And I was, I was radically converted. I became a born-again Christian, and it was absolutely the most powerful thing that has ever happened in my life, 
And there's been nothing that has been more powerful since then. It was a miracle. I transitioned from death to life. I was born again. And I fell so deeply in love with Jesus immediately that He would take this heap of ashes, this train wreck of a dude, and do something magnificent and exchange my sin for eternal life. That I decided I was going to get to know this Jesus, my Savior, as good as I could. as best. I wanted to be John, young John, who laid his head back upon Jesus, like we sang a few moments ago, and heard his heartbeat. I wanted to be the disciple whom others said, this is the disciple that Jesus loves. I wanted to know Jesus. And so I made it my passion. This was long before I knew what it meant to be in the ministry. This was long before I knew what it meant to be anything other than I'm going to get to know Jesus. And the only way I knew how to get to know Jesus was to be in church, to study the Word of God, and to worship the King. And as a result of that, uh, God had a different path in my life and a number of things. I won't go there tonight. But So let me, let me just read real quickly. Turn in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're not. We're going to bounce. We're going to move around. This is just a precursor to where we're going tonight. But uh, we'll see what God does. Okay. So Hebrews chapter eleven, because it's it it talks a little bit about faith. It talks a little bit about faith. And I would, if you had something to write with, that you would underline in your Bible, that you would uh, take notes, that you would do something. So just write this. It's really going to be Hebrews eleven six. That's what we'll get to. But I want to read uh, verses one through five. Uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Let me read that again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. If you're here tonight and your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have hope. And it's an eternal hope. Your hope is that one day you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I I trust that's what your hope is. Maybe you don't project that far out, but I just want to encourage you. If your faith is in Christ, you are going to spend eternity with Jesus. Now, sometimes we think to ourselves, well, what is that going to look like? What is that going to look like? Are we going to stand around with white robes and little gold sashes around our waist and our chest and this nice little thing and sing in a choir up in heaven? I don't think that's what's going to be like. But here's what I, here's what we know. We have no idea what it's going to be like because the Bible tells us no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no nor has it entered into the mind of man what it is going to be like for those who love God. And so heaven is going to be absolutely radical. So we won't go there, but it's the thing, it's evidence of things not seen. It's those, uh, it's the substance of things hoped for. Then he goes on to say, he says, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. The elders. Who, who are the elders? Who do you think the elders are? When he says, the, by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Who do you think he's talking about here? You, you throw out a good answer. I mean, you throw out any answer. <laughs> who, who are we talking about? You want me to help you? Yeah. We're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about all the way back from Adam all the way to Malachi, so to speak. The entirety of the Old Testament. It's about five-sixths of the entirety of your Bible, the Old Testament. And there's some folks in there that he's going to actually go through in chapter 11, a whole bunch of them, and some of the things that they did and the faith that they experienced. He says, by it, faith, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the Word of God. How were the worlds formed? How were the worlds formed? Okay, you guys, I'm just going to tell you real quickly. I get loud, so you've got to get loud with me. Okay? How were the worlds formed? By the Word of God. Okay, so 
How many of you uh, recently graduated from high school or college or are actively engaged in college right now? How many of you? Okay. How many of you are learning right now in college that it wasn't that the worlds were not formed by the Word of God? How many of you are learning something contrary to that? Anybody? Maybe you go to a, how many of you go to a Christian college? Okay, a lot of you. Here's what I learned. And when I, I remember the very first biology class at Portland State University. Okay, I was a junior, and I'm sitting in a biology class. There are over 300 college students. I was 19, or I was about, I was about 19 and a half, almost 20 years old. And I will tell you, uh, they stood up in class. In fact, I was 21. They stood up, and the, the professor got up in front and legitimately told us that this universe was formed and fashioned by random chance. That it just exploded. There was matter. And it exploded and it became this universe. And as a result of climbing out of the primordial soup, we, human beings, existed. And I thought, man, that is not what my Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. So I was faced with, am I going to believe science? Incidentally, this afternoon I got home and I was working at the kitchen counter and uh, my daughter had turned on a, a show on TV. Uh, and it was on Netflix. It was Nacho Libre. And uh, <laughs> so I was enjoying a little Nacho Libre this afternoon, and uh, I, was, I was kind of plunking along. Anyway, uh, yeah, I believe in science. <laughs> and, uh, so I was faced with this decision, am I going to believe in science, or am I going to believe the Word of God? Well, Hebrews chapter, three, or, uh, chapter 11, verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made with the things that are visible. In other words, God spoke this world into existence. And I just just want you to get warped on that for a moment. God made something out of nothing. He made something out of nothing. Okay? And it was formed and fashioned by God's Word. Okay? Uh, now, he goes, and did you catch that? By the Word. By the Word, they were uh, frame, or the, the, the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now, who's the Word of God? Jesus. Jesus. Remember John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Okay. So, these worlds were framed by Christ. He is the spoken word, in fact. Okay, then it goes on to say, uh, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, uh, through uh, which uh, he obtained witness uh, that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being uh, dead, though, uh, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Verse 5, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Okay, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who, what? Who diligently seek him. Okay? So I want... This, this is just the framework. I just want to inspire you. I want to encourage you to be a diligent seeker of God. A diligent seeker of God. I know for me, I, did, I had no idea what that meant. I just 
began to be a diligent seeker of God because I had transitioned from a horrible life that was all about me to this life that was becoming selfless and I was discovering that it was not about me and there was a greater picture that I was completely blinded to. I lived... Some of you know what it is to live in the high school drama. I mean, to be in amidst the drama and the make-believe world of the high school realm. I grew up in that. And man, I lived it. And I thought the world... I legitimately thought I was the center of the universe and I thought it was all about me. And I discovered there's a big world out there and there's more. And this God, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. And so, makes me think about what, what that reward looks like because I think for everybody that reward could be very different. I know for me, the reward was truth. Truth. And it's something that I could build my whole life on. And so, uh, just, just this whole idea of reward and the Word a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. So, with that being said, that's just a little precursor. I just want you to be inspired that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found, and call upon Him while He is near. That's what the Scripture says. Seek the Lord while He may be found, call upon Him while He is near. And so, with that, uh, believe it or not, I started my Bible reading when I first got saved in the book of John. My sister had been saved for a couple of years, and she encouraged me to go to the book of John. So this idea of the Word, the Word became flesh. Well, a uh, couple other scriptures I want you to be reminded of this uh, evening. Turn with me to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. There's a scripture you want to underline in your Bible. This one you want to highlight on your phone. It's one you want to memorize in your brain. Okay? And... Uh, Verse 2 of Psalm 138 at the tail end says this, uh, For you have magnified your word above all your name. You've magnified your word above all your name. Okay. So what is something that God has considered greater or magnified above His name? His word. His word. And so, if God places His Word as something that is of importance, where do you think we should put that? Pretty important, right? Are you with me? If God sees and deems His Word and magnifies His Word above even His name, where might you and I want to put His Word? Yes. It's, it's got to be up there, right? So, think about it for a moment. Think about what you do with this book how often you spend time in it, is it a priority for you? Okay? And so what might we do to rearrange our priorities so that we also would magnify this word above all our name? Are you with me? Okay? Uh, There's no question in my mind that you as a young adult, are a lot like I was as a young adult. At least, you're probably way further along than I was. But even after I got saved, and I was diligently seeking the Lord, I still wrestled with my old nature. Right? I had a new nature. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new 
creation, the old is gone, the new has come. So I was born again, the Spirit of God was dwelling in me, and I was alive in Jesus. And I was growing. But man, that old man was always coming back. And he was trying to throw an allure in front of me for the things of this world. Anybody here ever get the allure of the world where you see the things of this world and they're desirous for you? Here's something that the world will throw at you. It's not necessarily wrong, but in its proper perspective, it's not wrong. But when it's out of perspective, it can be very wrong. Uh, how, How about this? Now get rich. Get rich. Is there a person here who wouldn't like to get rich? I mean, we all want to. We all want to have a little more money in our bank account. Am I right? Raise your hand if you like a little more, few more pesos in the bank account. Okay, seven of us. All right, the rest of you, the rest of you are way more spiritual. Perhaps. Not. Okay. How, how about this? How about this? How many of you? How many of you? I want you to be honest. Okay, don't worry about what the person next to you is doing. How many of you are concerned about your reputation? What other people think of you? Okay? Yeah. I just want you to know that's an allure of the world. Okay? Because really, who should we be living our lives for? Not what other people think, but what God thinks. What does God think of me? What does God think of me as His disciple? Is Jesus Christ abundantly satisfied with me as his follower, as his disciple? And if I would say no to that question, that means I need to change. Jesus doesn't. Does Jesus need to change? I think not. He's eternal God. He doesn't need to change. So if I could answer that question and say Jesus would not be abundantly satisfied with me as his follower, then I'm telling myself I need to change. I need to make some changes. Okay? Okay. now then, he's exalted, or he has magnified his word above all his name. If, if you're concerned about your reputation, if you're concerned about the things of this world, listen, the Bible even, Jesus warns us, he says, uh, the, the deceitfulness of riches will, will lead many astray. There is, a, there is an astray that goes. The love of this world and the things of this world will lead us astray. They are enmity toward God. And so, if that is a priority for you, and if you're curious as to whether or not, you know, just your priorities on that is, think about this last week. How much time did you spend in front of the mirror? Right? You know, I remember when I took a group of young people on the first mission trip. This is, this is, this is, this is probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in ministry. I took 95 people to Romania. Shoot me in the head. That was like the lamest decision I think I've ever had in my life. But here was the funny thing. Every single person that went on that trip had a bag that was 36 inches in length. It was about 18 inches thick, and it was probably 20 inches wide. And there was complaints that they weren't big enough. And uh, now, ladies, I'm not picking on you, but the girls were like, well, I need room for my curling iron. I need room for my hair straightener. I need room for my blow dryer. And we're like, okay, 
Do we need room for me? So we had to go through a whole series of training. Look, look, the folks that you're going to be ministering to, they don't have hair dryers. They don't have curling irons. Some of the guys were like, dang it, I'm not going to be able to take my curling iron. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we, we narrowed it down to, girls, you don't even need to take makeup because nobody cares what you look like. And yet, when we got on the mission field, there was only one bathroom in this place that we were staying, and it wasn't a very beautiful place. Let me tell you, it was rough. But even yet, there were a lot of time spent in the bathroom. It's like, are you kidding me? No one cares. We're here to give them Jesus, not you. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we get our priorities out of whack. God says He has magnified His Word above all His name. What about us? Have you magnified God's Word above your name? What's more important to you? The reputation you're making for Jesus' namesake or yourself? Who are you? Who are you magnifying? Are you magnifying the Son of God, Jesus? Listen to this. The Word of God says, if we will lift Jesus up, He will draw all men unto Himself. Are people being drawn toward Jesus in you, or are they being drawn to you in you? Okay? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And it's 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 a shift. And we need to be converted. It's a conversion. Okay? Um... We're not even to the, where I was going to go yet tonight. So yeah. <laughs> uh, let me let me just give you a little uh, one more one more scripture, uh, Psalm forty. So flip uh, just a little bit to the left in your Bible, Psalm forty, and verse seven. How many of you notice that we're in the Old Testament right now? Uh, the Old Testament is probably one of my favorite places. I have two favorite places: the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> so the Old Testament is one of my favorite places. Uh, Psalm forty, verse seven. It says this, Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Behold, I come. Who do you think we're talking about here? This psalm is written about Jesus, or the Messiah. Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Uh, who, who has another translation other than the New King James? Who has uh, who has the King James? Anybody have King James? Anybody got NIV? You got an NIV? Okay, pull it up, Matt. Uh, it says, Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me throughout the scroll. Okay, throughout the scroll. Does anybody else have another translation? NIV or New King James? Well, the bottom line is, the Bible tells us that it is it is in the scroll of the book that it is written of me. In other words, you will find in the written word Jesus is on every page. Right. Okay. Now you probably heard that from Matt a number of times that Jesus is on every page in the Scripture. Now remember a moment ago when I said or I read that Scripture in Hebrews eleven six. He is the what of those who diligently seek Him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, I want to encourage you to find Jesus on the pages. Because that's reward. When you discover Christ, when you discover Jesus in the midst of the stories of the Word of God, there's life, and all of a sudden it becomes very applicable to me. How many of us have read portions of the Bible where we say, I haven't got a clue what I'm reading? Anybody ever read that? Yeah, you're like, man, why am I reading the book of Numbers right now? It means not, I can't even pronounce, you know, 87% of the names on the page, let alone have any understanding of what it's saying to me. But let me say this 
as you study, Jesus begins to reveal Himself. And all of a sudden, it becomes very life-giving. So I just want to encourage you. So let's do that for a moment. Another place, turn back to the right in your Bible. We'll go to Romans chapter 1. We're playing a little bit of Bible roulette here. We're just uh, randomly going across the pages of Scripture. (laughs) Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I have a lot of favorite verses in the Bible. This This is up at the top. This is, in my, this is in my top ten. Okay, Top ten for Pastor Dave. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world... Now let me stop there for a moment. Since the creation of the world... Remember, how were the worlds framed? Hebrews 11.3 By the Word of God. Okay, so He spoke into existence. He says, For since the creation of the world, His... Invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even as eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Now, since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. That's like oxymoronic. Jumbo shrimp. (laughs) Invisible, clearly seen. How's that work? How's that work? His invisible attributes. we, we, We serve the God of the Bible. We believe in the God of the Bible. We are falling in love with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is revealed Himself in Father, Son, and spirit. Three in one. We call it the Trinity. How many of you are familiar with a triune God? We believe in a triune God. Amen. Amen. You can get a little you can get charismatic here tonight, okay? Wave your hands like this. Just get your hands up in the air. Do this. Come on, don't don't leave me hanging, Bowen. <laughs> Work with me, brother. Alright. We listen, it's okay to say amen. Alright. Let me hear you let me hear y'all on cue. Say amen. Amen? Amen. Alright, there you go. Uh, so we believe in a triune God. That's right. Okay. So knowing that, thank you, my brother. Uh, knowing that, we can get a little discovery. Now, for my kids who've grown up with their dad being a uh, you know just a science guy and in the Word of God, they've heard this a million times. But you may be here tonight and you've never heard this. Genesis. Chapter 1. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. It's really easy. It's the very front, first book in the Bible. Right after the book of Preface. <laughs> Which Preface, by the way, is not inspired. <laughs> Neither is the book of Weights and Measures, but that's okay. Okay. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Listen, listen to Genesis 1 1. Okay? In the beginning. We're not talking about sports, the beginning. We're talking about in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Three in one. You ready for this? In the beginning is a measurement of what? Time. It's like a stopwatch in the beginning. Guy in the 40 yard dash, before he goes, there's no seconds clicking. He moves. 
The coach clicks and time has started. Time started. Before the beginning, there was no time. There was eternity. And God existed there. But in the beginning, He started something. Okay? God created the heavens. Heavens here in the Hebrew language, because the Old Testament predominantly is in Hebrew. There's a few places that it was written in Aramaic. But here it's in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is Shemayim. The I-M ending is plural. So if your Bible says heavens, that's probably a more accurate translation. Heaven can also be plural even in its singularity. But God created the heavens. When you think of heavens, what do you think of? Thank you for sharing that. That was the quickest five bucks he ever made. Okay. (laughs) Heavens is a measurement of expanse or space. So we have time and we have space. What's the next thing he did? He created the earth. Now, when we say the earth, most of you immediately think of this picture from NASA, and you see this blue sphere in the middle of our solar system, and you see this planet that's the water planet with you know cloud formations and little hurricanes blowing across it, and you think of the earth. But this word in the Hebrew is the word Eretz. E-R-E-T-Z. Eretz is literally matter. It's material. It's substance. It's atomic in terms of its structure. It's the periodic table in chemistry. The 129 known elements, or however many there are now, it's now we got americonium and something like that. I mean, it's just ginormous. Anyway, it's all that stuff. It's the stuff. Matter. Space. Matter. Time. We live in a triune universe. Romans 1.20 tells us that His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So God reveals Himself in the very first verse of the Bible. That He is a triune God. He is revealing His character, His invisible nature, His invisible attributes, even His... Godhead, the scripture says. So we see Christ is in the midst of that. Christ is in the midst of it. Because he is one of the triune parts of this Godhead, or this God whom we serve. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's just a little nugget. And I get excited about that kind of stuff because there are little nuggets on legitimately every page of this Bible. Now I don't have time tonight to go through with you the attributes throughout the entirety of Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, Genesis, uh, whoops, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, etc., all the way down the line. But there is a picture of Jesus on every page. Does that make sense? How many of you are excited about that? Okay. All right. Is it warm in here? Okay. How many, when it gets warm, you get a little sleepy? How many of you are getting sleepy as Pastor Dave's talking? Because if we're going to get sleepy, we're going to get, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get aerobic, okay? We're going to get up and we're going to do something. <laughs> Jen's all, I'm back, man. Let's get aerobic. <laughs> He's all, woo, let's go. All right. Uh, so let's go where I, th- I wanted to go tonight. Now, 
Here's an interesting story. Maybe you are familiar with, maybe you're familiar with the stories in the Old Testament. Maybe you're not so familiar with the stories in the Old Testament. But there's some key guys in the Old Testament: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How many of you have heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Just raise your hand if you've heard a little bit about. Okay, uh, so most of you here, if not everybody. Uh, turn your Bibles just a few pages to the right. And you're in Genesis chapter one, so go to Genesis chapter 25. Okay, Genesis 25. And uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, becomes pregnant. That's another sermon. Another day. (laughs) Um, And verse 22 says, But the children struggled together within her. Austin Brandon, what does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> Just your twins. <laughs> they, they, there were twin boys in her womb, and they were struggling. Now I know you don't struggle. Yeah, he's the, the judge is sitting between the two. Okay, uh, she's got twins in her womb, and it says the children struggled together within her, and she said. If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Let me just give you a quick inspiration here. Everybody look this way for just one second. Because probably everybody here at one time or another has said, Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Why are the circumstances of my life like this? Why is this happening? Why, why, why? Can we learn something from Rebecca tonight? The Bible says in Proverbs, He who walks with the wise grows wise. Now walk with Rebecca. She was troubled. Something wasn't right. What did she do? She inquired of the Lord. She inquired of the Lord. She didn't go to her friends and complain. When things don't go right with us, what do we do? Good. What's the first thing we do? We get our... Texting machines. Or we call someone on the phone. Or we go and we download. As if our friends will have some eternal answer for us. Now they may direct us to the Lord. They may give us inspiring words. And we need to go to our friends. Because the Bible even tells us friends are born for times of adversity. But the first thing we should do is go to the one who spoke the world into existence, who formed and fashioned that which you are sitting on, the atomic structures that are holding your chair together, which there is more space than there is solid material in that. And yet you sit on it with absolute certainty and faith that's going to hold your body up. Why would we not go to that one first? Does that make sense? Do you know he's speaking right now? He's speaking from his throne right now. He's speaking to some of you right now. He's using his word. How many of you heard, I should inquire of the Lord? Can I just say that's biblical? God is just reminding you through me tonight that we should inquire of the Lord. I have no notes, so that's nowhere in my notes. I'm just telling you. And if, if some of you, how many, let's just take a quick survey and let's be honest. How many of you are going through something right now you wish you knew why? Raise your hand. Be honest. Will you just stand where you are right now? If that's you, will you just stand right now? We're just going to let God do something. Just stand up. Come on. 
Let me ask this question right now. How many of you who are standing right now, and I'll take just one of you, how many of you believe that God could speak to you right now? You believe He could speak to you right now? Just raise your hand if you believe that. Okay. He's going to answer you. And those of you who aren't sure, let me inspire you. He will speak directly to you. He will show you. And it will not be contrary to His Word. And it will be absolutely certainty from His Word. Okay? So you seek and let God speak to you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as yes. these uh, young people are standing before you, Lord, they are just they're, they're confessing and expressing. God, they're going through something and they don't understand why. We recognize, God, that you don't always tell us the answer, but you certainly help us and walk us through the process. Yes. But Lord, like Rebecca, you revealed some things. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to these young people, your children, God, why they're going through some of the things that they're going through. Lord, reveal yourself. Yes, Jesus. And Lord, may they be drawn nearer to you as a result of the answer of the Lord. And so God, we thank you and we praise you that you hear the prayers of your saints. So as each of them are saying under their own breath and in their own hearts and minds, God, why? God, why? God, why? We're inquiring of you, Lord. May you answer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. You can sit down. Okay. Now, Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. If God speaks to you tonight, I want you to call someone and tell them what God said to do. That's good. And get get confirmation because I believe that with uh, two or three witnesses, let the word be established. Okay. So call someone who is a person of faith who's strong in the Lord, who can be a sounding board, would God tell me to do this? Would God say this? And let's back it up with some Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay, so good, good. Alright, and if the Lord doesn't, you don't necessarily navigate that God's saying something to you, you should contact Pastor Matt. Specifically guys, and if there's some gals, you can contact Pastor Matt too if there's something a little bit outside of the realm of the guy zone. Girls. I don't know what girls, you know. I mean, there could be some stuff. Well, I mean, let's face it, right? Ladies, is there some girl stuff that you don't want to talk? Whether it's Pastor Dave, Pastor Matt, Pastor Dennis, you want? I need a female. So there are there are gals you can call. Okay, and so Pastor Matt has a list of those uh, leaders that would be really really helpful for you. Okay, listen to what God says to her, verse twenty three. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb; two peoples shall be separated." From your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, there's a very real beginning of nations here. Because Isaac uh, is going to give birth to Jacob, and Jacob is going to have... uh, kind of an epic life. And he's going to end up with 12 sons. And the 12 sons of Jacob become, after Jacob gets his name changed by God to Israel, they, the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Israel in its entirety is a nation that you're familiar with. But it's a nation that was, and it's the only nation in the entirety of the ethnos of humanity 
all the language and people groups of all time from Adam to today. 6,000 years of humanity, 6,000 years of nations and ethnos of people. There has never been a people group that was a nation that ceased to be a nation and rebirthed as a nation. The nation of Israel was a nation for approximately a thousand years, maybe 1,200 years. And because of their disobedience, first of all, they split and factioned into two groups, ten nations in the north, known as Israel, and the southern two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, known as Judah. The north was so bad in their disobedience to the Word of God, and they were so rebellious, in 722 B.C., they ceased to be a nation in its entirety. They came under Assyrian governess, and they they infiltrated, and they, they are no more. Mistakenly, today, they're known as the twelve or excuse me, the, uh, the, the ten lost tribes of Israel. But they're not lost. I just want you to know, they're not lost. Okay? Some of those, each of those ten tribes, some of them filter down into Judah. And the two tribes of Judah ceased to be a nation also in about 605 B.C. 605 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in and took them captive. Okay? Now, they ceased to be a nation. From 606, 605 B.C., all the way up until 1948. In 1948, they became a nation again. Yeah. That is like 2,500 years, a people group that had no land, maintained their national identity, maintained their national religious disposition. In fact, Judaism, Judaism is one of the three world religions. And they maintain that, though they were not a people group, for 2,500 years. And right after World War II, after Hitler systematically annihilated six million Jews when Germany was overtaken and World War II ceased the entirety of the nations of the world had sympathy on a people group that God had declared would be born again would be rebirthed and in May I think it was May 14th 1948, Israel was reborn. They were given their land that was originally theirs, the nation of Israel. Now then, you know in the news today, there's a whole lot of discussion going on. And the news bend on what is going on right now in Israel and how Hamas and the Palestinians are a people group without a land, that that land is rightfully theirs. I got news for you. God says, no, it is not. So the whole world may be saying one thing, but you and I, we need to look to what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says. And that is an Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. That land is theirs and will remain theirs. And Jesus is going to set his foot down 
in that land in the near future, I believe wholeheartedly, because the Word of God says so. Anyway, that's not where we're going tonight. What we're looking at tonight is two nations in this womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Here's what I want to do. I want to take that Scripture for just a moment, and though there is a very uh, genuine biblical, historical reality associated with the Scripture, I want to have us look at that on a metaphor of our own lives. Because there are legitimately two nations in each of your bellies, so to speak. For me, I had my old nature. He's the older. Then I became born again, and he's the younger. So there are two nations, the new man and the old man. For you, if your faith is in Christ today, you have your old nature, that's the old-er, you have your new nature, which is the new. Are you with me? So there are two parts of you, and they are diametrically opposed to one another. They don't work hand-in-hand together, they work against each other, so to speak. The new nature, where the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, is working against your old nature very positively toward God. Your old nature desires itself and wants to fulfill its natural desires. Does that make sense? It's carnal in nature. Alright. Listen to what the Scripture says. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. Here's the the truth. Either your old nature is going to be stronger or your new nature is going to be stronger. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Everybody understand you're in a battle right now? Okay? When When you put your faith in Jesus, you entered into a war that you may not have known existed prior to that. It's a very real war and it's a war for your soul. There's the forces of good and there's the forces of evil. The forces of evil your flesh, this world, and Satan and his entire regime. And then there's the God side. Okay? Now, one will be stronger than the other. What do you suppose determines which is going to be the stronger? If I had two dogs up here in the front, two big dogs, give me, give me a breed. Someone throw out a breed. Huskies. Huskies. Two big dogs, Pomeranians. <laughs> Teacup poodles. Okay, um, Great Dane. Now I like that. There's two big dogs. All right, bull mastiffs. Okay, how about that? That's a that's a hefty that's a hefty beast. We can get into 240 somewhere right in there. Bull bull mastiffs can get pretty big. I think the biggest bull mastiff was over 300 pounds. It's a big animal. Okay, now then, this over here is. Number one, this over here is number two. What do you think is going to determine which of these two is strongest? How much you feed it. Say it again. How much you feed it. Which one you feed more? Which one you feed more? What else? When you give some attention to what else? Exercise. Exercise. 
The one, sure. The one you don't keep locked up in a kennel. The one you don't keep locked up. They're good answers. A little exercise, a little food, a little nutrition. I mean, does it matter what you feed the dog? Yeah. I mean, if I fed them both a bunch of cardboard, they might eat it because they're going to get hungry, but none of them are going to have any nutritional value. Well, they're going to have some fiber in their diet. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Did he really go there? Okay, but anyway. It's what matters what kind of dog food you give them. Right? Same thing goes with the two nations or natures working in you. One will be stronger than the other. Which one is strongest is the one that you feed, the one that you exercise, the one that you don't keep locked up but give some freedom to, uh, the one that you pay attention of the nutritional value of what is being fed. Right? Are you with me? Are you following me? Some of you may be here tonight and you say, man, I'm, not, I'm, I'm spiritually really weak. I'm spiritually really weak. Uh, when temptation comes my way, I give in to temptation all the time. Why? And we start to inquire the Lord. Why, God? Why am I this? Why am I like this? Here's a little spiritual insight. Maybe because you haven't been feeding the right dog. You see how that works? Maybe you've been feeding the old man. Let me tell you, if your dietary consumption is uh, shows like Friends, uh, shows like a Seinfeld, shows like um, I don't even know what sitcoms are. How, How I Met Your Mother, <laughs> something like that. I don't know what that show is. I, I saw one portion of an episode. I thought that's rank. Uh, what's the one with the two and a half men? Uh, yeah, that's probably a terrible show. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm just telling you, if you're having a steady diet of that and a limited diet of this, you're going to be out of balance and the dog that's being fed is going to have a greater influence in your life. That's right. That's right. That's Does that make sense? Two nations are in your womb, so to speak. And all the guys said, I didn't know I had a womb. <laughs> but the word womb there, there's also, it's an understanding of a guttural reality. It's, it's in the bowels of where I am. And it's from the bowels that we are, we have yearnings. We have yearnings. And so the stronger yearning is going to come from the nation or the people group, the dog that you feed the most. What I'm, what I'm saying is God... God is magnified His Word above all His name. Unfortunately, we have not. And therefore, we spend a lot of time feeding the wrong thing. You say, man, I didn't come to church tonight to be told what I can and can't watch on TV. And you know what? You can watch any one of those shows. You really can. There are no rules in Christianity. There are no rules per se. But boy, there's principles... And I will tell you this much. One of, the, one of the key principles that I learned very early in my spiritual walk, you reap what you sow. It's the principle of the harvest. If I'm a farmer and I plant corn, what am I going to grow? Corn. If I'm a farmer and I plant peas in the ground, what am I going to grow? Chickens? 
What did you have? <laughs> Garbanzo beans. Okay. If I plant... I don't know. <laughs> I'm a Pomeranian. If I, if I plant a Pomeranian, do I grow Pomeranian? A bull <laughs> A How did that happen? No. You reap what you sow. And here's the deal. If you're sowing to the flesh, that dog over there, the older, remember it says the older will serve the younger? That's it. The older, my old nature should be subjected to my new nature. In other words, the spirit man inside of me should control my flesh. Are you with me? You know when temptation comes your way, and you hear that still small voice that says, don't go do that, don't do that, that's not going to be good for you? But which, which one wins? Does the spirit man win, or do you just give in to temptation? If you're giving into temptation, it's because the flesh has put the spirit subject to it. And now the older is ruling over the younger. But the scripture says the younger should rule over the older. Are you with me? So it's who we are feeding. And so think about your diet, because it matters what you're taking in. Now I would say, like David in the psalm said, Early in the morning I will rise up and seek thee. Seek you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. You're here tonight. That's indicative of the fact that you want to grow in your relationship with Christ. You want to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. You want to know Him better and you want to walk in the newness of life, not in the old way. And so... Honestly, I, I had way more things I thought I would say tonight, but let me give you a little example of giving in. Interestingly enough, Jacob and Esau, the two twins, when they were born, Jacob was the younger. Esau came out first, and Jacob was holding onto his ankle. And uh, so he was given the name Jacob, which means supplanter. And he was holding on, and he was he was taking, uh, trying to take position. He was trying to take lead role. Well, these two guys became two nations, uh, the Edomites and the uh, Israelites. Not to be mistaken with the mosquito bites. And the... Okay. Anyway, uh... <laughs> ever say that again? <laughs> Youth joke only. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, these two nations had a group of people. And a couple hundred years later... When Israel, in its rebellion, they saw all the other nations of the world had kings. And Israel had no king because God was their king. They were a theocratic government. God was their leader. But all the other kingdoms were monarchies. They had physical kings. And they started complaining, saying, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a flesh rule, not a spirit rule. Have you, ever, have you ever thought in your own heart, man, I wish I could be like the people in the world. I wish I could have the things that the world has. Uh, I want to encourage you, don't be like the nation Israel who sought to be like the world and 
dethrone God. Samuel the prophet was so disheartened, God said to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They rejected me. Let's not be like Israel, wanting to be like the world. But let's be like the Israel of old who sought the Lord and asked and asked God to be their God, so to speak. Okay, now then. They established Saul as the first king. God said, okay, you want a king? I'm going to give you a king. Here's the guy you're going to make king. Saul. So they make Saul king. Now, Saul's first assignment from God. God says, okay, Saul, you're now the king. And he says, here's your first assignment. The Amalekites, there was a battle during the days of the Exodus at Rephidium. And at Rephidium, Moses, how many of you remember the story where Moses had to hold the staff up, he had to hold his arms up and the staff, and he got so weary they put a rock underneath him, he sat down and Aaron, his brother, and her held his hands up, and as his hands were held high, and his staff was high, that the Israelites would have victory over the Amalekites. And when his arms became weary and they came down, the Amalekites would begin to have victory over the Israelites. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the Israelites win the battle. But you say, well, why was Saul going to go have to attack the Amalekites? Well, it was at that time, back in the Exodus with Moses, when the Amalekites attacked initially, they attacked the rear of the people that were leaving Egypt. Who was at the rear? The old, the grandmas, grandpas, the lame, the maimed, the blind, and the sick, and a lot of children. And Amalek came in without any rule in his rules of engagement and began to annihilate all the sick, the weary, the lame, the maimed, and the kids. And God said, you write that down, what Amalek did. It will not be forgotten, and we will take, we will have vengeance. We will have vengeance. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. So, First King, God says, go destroy the Amalekites. Now let me just say this real quickly. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau. David, excuse me, Saul, is a descendant of Israel. So now these two nations are still at battle against each other through Amalek, and God says, go destroy the flesh. Go destroy the old brother. And Saul goes to do the job. And he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Man, woman, child, beast. Sounds terrible. I won't go into the detail of why that was to happen and so forth. But Saul didn't do it. In fact, he brought the king back with him. And some of the cattle and some of the sheep. And they see Samuel coming and they go, hey, bless God, we've done everything that God commanded us to do. He says, Samuel's over here and he says, look, if you've done everything that God commanded you to do, why do I hear the lowing of the cattle and the bleeding of the sheep? Because you were supposed to destroy it all. And this is what Saul said. The people saw that they were good. And so we brought them back to offer as sacrifice to your God. So he was disobedient because he listened to the crowd and he tried to spiritualize his disobedience. Does that make sense? Okay, so ultimately Samuel takes Agag, the king, 
the Agagites, and he destroys Agag. Amalekites is a type of the flesh. And Israel is a type of the life of the Spirit. And the Spirit must destroy the work of the flesh. Does that make sense? The Spirit in you must destroy the work of your flesh. Are you with me? Are you tracking? Nod your head if you're tracking with me. Okay, good. Now then, because Saul did not destroy all of the Amalekites, some Amalekites lived. And the end of Saul's life, it is recorded for us in the Old Testament. He was in battle, and he was losing in battle. And so he took his own sword, and he ran him through falling on his own sword to kill himself so that his adversary wouldn't be able to have his way with him. But he didn't die. And it happened that a man came up to the king and saw him. And the king cried out to him and said, Take my sword and run it through me and take my life. Who are you? And he declared who he was and he said, I am an Amalekite. The Amalekite killed the king. Let me say this. When the flesh is not destroyed, it will come back and bring destruction in your life. Just like it did in the life of Saul. The flesh not managed, the flesh not subdued, will come back and bring death in your life. Does that make sense? The things that your flesh is craving and desiring for you to have, if it is not tempered with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, it will bring destruction in your life. And I can tell you in my own life, story after story after story, where I gave in to the flesh and it brought destruction in my life. I don't have time tonight to go through those details, but I can tell you from relationships right on down to how I conduct myself in my affairs with work. A number of things, just life stuff. The things I did in athletics during college. I was a college football player. And until I got my priorities right, I would give into the flesh. Here's a... Give you one. I couldn't get strong enough in the weight room. So my temptation was to be like the other players who were taking steroids. So I violated my own conscience. I violated what I knew was right. And I ordered my steroids. And I took them. So that I could gain an advantage that all the other guys who didn't know Jesus were doing. And I just sought to be just like them. I wanted to be like the rest of the kingdoms. Having a flesh king and not the spirit. And I rejected what the spirit of God was saying to me. As a result... God shut the door for me in athletics. I believe, I mean, I'm to tell you, right out of college, I was talking to the Denver Broncos. I was running times for the Broncos, the Giants, and the Jets. I probably could have played in the NFL, but God closed the door because of my disobedience. My disobedience. He said, No, I've got a different plan for you. You will come under the rule. I've got something better for you. I didn't know it at the time. I remember being very disappointed when God shut that door. But I made the decision. No, God said no. I'm going to listen to the Spirit this time. And as a result, God has blessed my life tremendously. Okay, now, I won't go into all those stories. But, here's the deal. 
So the Amalekites are left alive, and 500 years later, again, another story in your Bible, and I'll end with this one. It's the book of Esther. The book of Esther. It's a great book to read. And there are two individuals in the book of Esther you should know about. The first is a guy by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is a descendant of Israel. Okay? And ironically, during a time in 2 Samuel, we don't have time to go there tonight, David had the opportunity to destroy a man. Just like Saul had the opportunity and didn't, he had an inordinate grace because he listened to the crowd. David had an opportunity to kill a man who was cursing him. But David had a ordinate grace. It was the right kind of grace. And he said, no, God may be using this man to form and fashion me. Let him live, Ab- Let him live Abishai. And as a result of Shimei not being destroyed, because David didn't listen to the crowd, but he listened to God, Mordecai was on the scene. Because he is a direct descendant of Shimei. Now then, because of Saul's inordinate grace leaving some of the Agagites alive 500 years later, the not the heroine, but the villain in the story of Esther, a guy by the name of Haman, is born. And Haman is an Agagite. He is a descendant of Agags, the Agag group, or the kingly group of the Amalekites. And 500 years, a thousand years from Saul's day, The flesh is still trying to destroy the spirit. Esau is still trying to destroy Jacob. Still trying to rule. The older is still trying to rule over the younger. And he sets out a plan to utterly destroy all of the Jews. God thwarts the plan. Mordecai becomes the hero. And you'll have to read the story. But here's the interesting thing. Haman, who is an Agagite, who is an Amalekite, he is a type of the life after the flesh we are told something very unique in the last two chapters of Esther. That Haman has ten sons. Ten sons. And the way that it is written grammatically in the Hebrew, the end of the name, the conjunction is changed, and the the conjunction becomes the same word as self. And so each of the ten sons of of Haman are identified as something associated with the self-life. Are you with me? And so here's what I would say. Like self-indulgence, self-pity, self-fill-in-the-blank. Maybe you felt a self-emotion. Maybe it's self-pity. Maybe it's self-indulgent. Maybe it's self... Someone fill in a blank for me. Self-worth. Whatever that is, there are ten sons or the byproducts of the flesh. Ultimately, Mordecai destroyed the ten sons of Haman in one foul swoop. He obliterated them. And here's what I would say. The Spirit of God that is in you is intended to rule over our flesh. That we, the spirit man in us, would have rule over our flesh. 
And if you're here tonight and you struggle, you struggle with your your Christian walk because you've given to temptation, I want to encourage you tonight that if you follow the biblical example and you mortify the flesh, you subject the flesh by restricting its diet, by restricting its nurturing, by restricting your restricting your attention to it, and you turn your attention to the right dietary consumption. Maybe it's spending time in the Word of God. Maybe it's spending time studying the Word of God. Maybe it's spending time in worship. Maybe it's spending time just with your Christian brothers and sisters who will be mutually encouraging, not discouraging by giving you wrong advice. I mean, I, believe me, I went, to, I went to the wrong group of people when I was a young adult. I, early on, I went to the wrong group of people asking for advice. I went to my old friends. What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? Man, you should do this. Man, you should do this. Man, you should do this. I got some really lame counsel. I needed to inquire the first like Rebecca, then go to my Christian friends, my brothers and sisters, and say, hey, what do you think I should do? And I didn't go to somebody who was younger in the Lord than me. I went to somebody who was older in the Lord than me, who was already experiencing victory in their spiritual walk. And I asked him, what do you do? How do you gain victory? How do you stop doing the things that you were doing so freely before you knew Christ? How do I change that I might be more honorable to the Lord? Does that make sense? And so I just want to encourage you in those few areas there. Restrict the old nature and feed the new nature. Let the Spirit of God help you to rule and reign, to walk in victory over your flesh, over the old man. So hopefully that all, all those pieces got put together for you tonight. I, they, were, uh, they were thoughts that I blistered down on a piece of paper and uh, amidst a list of notes that I had from some other day. Uh, so with that being said, Bo, we were singing a song earlier tonight, Grace Alone. And uh, I, I'd like to, because uh, I like the chorus on that song, Grace Alone, uh, if you're here tonight, and uh, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're here tonight, and uh, well, you are here tonight. You're not maybe. You are here, and uh, you're here tonight, and you realize in your life you say, you know, uh, I'm not always giving into the flesh, uh, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Uh, more often than I'd like to. More more often than I'd like to. In fact, I'd like to really honor God just a little bit more with my life tomorrow. And um, I, I realize that I've been given a steady diet to the dog of my old life. I've been feeding my life with the wrong diet. And it's been a steady intake. Some of it's just been fast food. I just go and I just gobble it right up. And I just I, I take it all in. Maybe I've been looking at some things I shouldn't be looking at on the internet. Maybe I've been involved in a relationship that's not been healthy. Maybe I've been giving things away that I shouldn't be giving away. Young people, think about this for a moment. Every kiss you give belongs to your future wife or husband. Right? Uh, I remember the very first time I held uh, my girlfriend's hand after I got saved. And she's now my wife. She's now my wife. Uh, If you've been giving things away or you've given things away, 
that belong to your future husband or wife, or maybe you've been taking things that belong to somebody else's future husband or wife. You say, ah, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I want to honor God. It's, it's time. It's time to stop feeding the old nature. But take it from a guy who's made mistakes. Uh, they will haunt you. Even though God redeems, they stay with you. If I had time to tell you tonight of the story of my past and at year 23 of my married life, how it impacted our lives, even at that point. Things I did in high school came back. Uh, and I, the beauty is I have an unbelievable marriage and an unbelievable wife. And because of my past, now my future is so much better. And my wife and I just got back from being away for a week, uh, celebrating our 27th wedding anniversary. Yeah, pretty exciting. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. But it's, it's, it's interesting how things can have an impact on your life. And I want to just encourage you, what you do today matters. Choose well. Don't feed the old nature. Feed the new nature. That born again part of your life. Put the emphasis on the Jesus stuff. And really grow in the Lord. Fall deeper in love with Just fall deeper in love with God. And I think, uh, I don't have the words in front of me, but uh, the, uh, are these the words right here? These aren't all the words, are they? <laughs> so I'll stand by faith, or so I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. We need to slay our sin. We need to slay the old man. We need to bring the old man subject to the younger. The older shall be subservient to the younger. The spirit will be in charge. Who are we feeding? i got to make decisions tonight. If that's you, and you'd say, I, I, need to, I need to make change. I want God to uh, really be in charge of my life. And I know I need to make change. While we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to all stand this evening. And uh, as we as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to just step out from where you are and just kind of move to the front right here. So you just, wherever you are, you say, I know I need to make some change. I've fed the wrong thing and I want to feed the right thing. No one cares what that is. No one cares what that dominance in the flesh was. No one here is wondering, man, what are what they've been doing? What are what they've been doing? What are what things they've been doing? Honestly, it doesn't matter because it's all the same. It's all the same. It's the flesh. And so no matter what it is, if you say, I know I need to make some changes. I've been feeding the wrong. Now here's the thing. Maybe you made change earlier today. You said, oh man, I know I'm going to Bible study tonight. I better, Lord, forgive me. So I'm making change right now. So if there's an altar call, I don't have to go forward. And, and I want you to know, you don't. Because if you made it right, you already made it right. 
let me tell you, if you do come forward, you will be strengthened. Because you'll have brothers and sisters who will help right. and they'll love you and they'll help keep you accountable. Believe me. And hold, hold just one second, folks. Believe me. <laughs> I, I want you to hear this. I want you to know how it works. Because your flesh... Sorry, brother. Your flesh doesn't want you to win. Your flesh... Listen to me. Your flesh doesn't want you to win. And so it'll give you excuses why you don't need to go forward. It'll be giving you an opportunity to say, that's not for me. When it maybe is. When it maybe is. And simply stepping out in faith and denying the flesh, even now, will be that which gives you the strength Come on. to overcome the Come flesh on. the next time. That's good. Does that make sense? Good. Play away, brother. Let's <laughs> <laughs> sing that song, and if that's you, just come on up closer. Just make our way closer here. So I stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race and grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Come on inside. Come on inside. By grace and grace alone.